Thinking aloud. Conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with psychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello and welcome. I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. Our topic today is poltergeist agents. That is, individuals who are responsible for recurring, spontaneous psychokinetic phenomena. My guest is Dr. Barry Taff. Barry has his doctorate in psychophysiology with a minor in medical engineering at UCLA. I first met him in the mid-1970s when he worked there at the parapsychology laboratory of Dr. Thelma Moss, which was part of the Neuropsychiatric Institute at UCLA. Barry is also the author of an interesting book called Aliens Above, Ghosts Below, Explorations into the Unknown. If you haven't watched the first interview with Barry, I highly recommend it now, and I'm linking to it. You can click right in the upper right-hand corner of your screen for that. This is the second of four interviews, and the conversation was a lengthy one, and we're going to begin with Barry describing an incident that occurred in the 1970s. And now I will uh, revert back to the video that was recorded in Barry's home in Palm Desert, California. About the same time, I met another girl when I was teaching at UCLA, and she, she used to be my doctor's daughter. I didn't even know that she, he had a daughter from decades earlier. And we began dating, and uh, in, uh, what was her name? Risa. And we were together, really interesting poltergeist things occurred. We were watching TV, and a can of coke, woo! flies across the room. We're in bed and the record player comes on and there's song, but she didn't put records in. Um, it was like one thing after another and I couldn't stop it. I couldn't make it occur. In, oh God, the early 80s, I kept having a dream that I met a young Barbara Eden. You know, I dream of Jeannie. I, so we were dating. I'm going, how do I, why do I keep seeing this? But I'm going to keep seeing it. I go, why? So the summer ends, go to start teaching my class in parapsychology, Beverly, Beverly Hills adult education class. The new students all come in, and one of them is a young Barbara Eden. Huh? Name was Linda. And we were talking during the break. She goes, do we know each other? I got a weird feeling we know each other. Now, the dreams I had about this blonde, I knew her mother's name was Mary. I knew she drove a blue car with a gray interior, Ford Pinto. She had to wear coordinated clothing, but she was not in the military or the police. So, we start talking, we start dating. Mother's name was Mary. She drove a blue Pinto with a gray interior. She worked at, the, at some bank where you had to wear a certain uniform or costume. And when we were together, amazing things happened. We'd come home come back to her place or something and all the plates were outside in the living room stacked up the classic poltergeist activity we'd be we'd be in her bedroom and we were banging in the kitchen come full stuff was on the floor again um little things kept her and then she her biological clock was ticking very loudly 
and she wanted me help make it ring, and I would I had no interest in that. So the relationship was strained, and she knew it, I knew it. And one of the last things that happened was we were leaving her apartment, and the deadbolt locked itself from the inside and wouldn't let us back in. It was her way of saying, get out, a projection. She'd come home and find clothes laid out on the bed. What? Where? where I, you know, it's, um, it's amazing. The, um, the physical phenomena is so unique because it contradicts everything we know about reality. Now, think about this for a second. A man, let's say six feet tall, 220 pounds. In order for some force to move him or a piece of matter, let's say the non-organic matter, to move it requires energy. And energy creates heat when it does work. And usually when you're near these objects they and they move, they're not hot, they're often cold. So that contradicts the second law of thermodynamics. Um, when things appear out of nowhere, boom, something's there. Um, before I left LA several years ago to live down here, um, for example, I put my phone down on my desk at home. If I'm not using it, my cell phone. I come back to get it, it's gone. Can't find it, can't find it. Day later, I come out, open the refrigerator door, boom, falls right in front of me. Three large medical medication vials get sent to me in a brown padded mailer. They were in my closet. They're gone. They're there. They're gone. Took some pills out, put them on the desk one night before they could go to sleep and I take medication. They're gone. They're not on the floor. They're not in the wastebasket. They're gone. Months later, I'm in the kitchen putting in a light. I look down, they're on the top of the gasket that seals the door to the fridge. Um, it, it was, I got into my car years ago to get in. The seat belt is tied in a knot, which means somebody had to remove it from up here, knot it up, and then reattach it. But that wasn't done. So how did it happen? Why did it happen? Um, but let's go to the, um, the field work is different. Well, let me just yeah. ask you a question, Barry, because the, these stories happened uh, around you. It would suggest that you yourself are a, a, a psychokinetic agent of um, some sort. When I was young, when I was young, I, uh, I didn't have any physical phenomena around me. It was all the ESP type stuff. No big deal. Okay. As I've grown older, the psychokinetic stuff has manifested, which supposedly linked to younger people when they're, you know, they go through glandular changes or hormonal fluctuations. But it seems like now um, things are more likely to happen on a physical level than a mental level. And of course, you've been exposed to a lot of poltergeist agents as a result of your work. Hundreds, maybe. But see, here's what I think. I think. Okay, let's talk to the physical phenomenon. We spoke of the mental, let's spoke of the physical. Even, even when you experience illnesses, as you described earlier, sitting in the proximity of a sick person, that's physical already. You're, well, you know, you're sensing information, or are you speak sympathetic 
It's a sympathetic resonance with the person yeah. near you. So when you spend a lot of time around poltergeist agents, it, some of it apparently is rubbed off on you. Now, let me go backwards a little bit. Yeah. Um, there's, a, there's a formula, in my opinion, that creates the poltergeist activity we speak of. Part of the formula is location, location, location. Geomagnetic anomaly, electromagnetic anomalies, high fields of energy, that's one. Secondly, you got a person who's hypersensitive to those energies. Third, has very poor coping mechanisms for stress. Three, is either seizure prone or epileptic. That's four. Right, right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Three. And then, of course, um, they're, they're, they have a hypersensitivity to those environments. If all those elements work in the right way, phenomenon may occur. And the last thing is what I would refer to as... Um, uh, oh good, but I'm trying to think of the term. I, have, I don't use this. There was um, um, it's, it's a coupling mechanism between people and the environment, inductive resonance coupling. So let's say you're in the right location with the energy, the crazy energy. You're hypersensitive to it. You have no coping mechanism. You're seizure prone or epileptic, and then your system's got to link up to the thing through inductive resonance coupling. When that happens, wham! Wow, look at all this stuff going on. That sounds like, frankly, the most sophisticated yeah. theory of uh, poltergeist yeah. that I have so far heard. And this is where it gets more interesting. Okay, the battery of instruments I took out over the years. We got a lot of them in the 90s. Um, low frequency spectrum analyzer. Okay, expensive little toy. Geomagnetometer. Expensive little toy. Um, air ion counter. Expensive little toy. Now, we can measure bioelectric fields very easily very easy to measure that biomagnetic fields are very different because their amplitude is extremely low like millionth as strong as the earth's field so you take these portal instruments to measure magnetic fields against people they won't record them unless there was a portable which uh, superconducting sensors you could use which there are none but if you take our instrument to put them up to a poltergeist station, you're able to see and record their magnetic energy because they're putting out thousands of times more power than the average person. What a coincidence. And we ask a lot of questions on investigations. My, my, the form I fill out is anywhere from four to 12 pages long, depending on the people. Ask, well, their age, their uh, ethnicity, their job, their education, where they work, uh, if they ab any medications they take, the dosage, the frequency, how long they've been on the medication, what they were diagnosed with, any recreational drugs they may have. Do they have a history either with themselves or family members, either seizure prone or epileptic? And we keep seeing the same pattern over and over again. People are seizure prone, they're epileptic, they're seizure prone. But here's what's weird. Well, the majority of poltergeist agents tend to be either seizure prone or epileptic, and it could be simple having focal seizures. I'm about to by grand mal, even not even petite, just focal seizures. Um, if that's coupled with the right environment, you have the coupling between them and the environment, and boom, things happen. But most people come and go, and nothing happens. But it's this the coupling, the 
the ability to link people with the environment that will possibly tear it, tear it apart. Um, a case, 2007, in Pomona, or anyway, a woman, so they heard her husband and the daughter moved into a house um, about 10 years earlier, fixer upper. And then weird things start happening. They hear voices, lights coming around, things are moving, okay. And okay. And then suddenly her husband starts freaking out and tries to kill her. So the cops get him, bring him in, and give him a full psych evaluation. They examine him. He comes back, he seems to be okay. More phenomena, more phenomena. And then out of the blue, he pulls out a gun and he blows his head off in the dining room and it was then discovered that years earlier the man who owned the original house had killed himself in the same way on the exact same spot and he said you know what's weird about this that um when before this happened i suddenly was diagnosed as being epileptic is it relevant i go it's always relevant it's i don't the faces and places may change but the phenomenon does not the linkage to the central nervous system and this hypersensitivity to electromagnetic and geomagnetic fields and then the being seizure prone or epileptic and when i first i did uh what was that guy that art bell like 20 years ago i talked about this a little bit on there all these calls came in people yeah they're epileptic and when they don't take their medication phenomena breaks out they take the medication the seizures stop and the phenomena stop. Now, given this, you could do some interesting t studies on the phenomena, but you have to spend a lot of money and put the careers of medical doctors at risk because otherwise people would think they were crazy. Yeah, you do fun functional MRIs, do PET scans on them, mag MEGs on them, EEGs on them, uh, do a battery of other tests, I'd be willing to bet you you'd see certain patterns in the nervous system. Now, while almost all the poltergeist agents appear to be seizure prone or epileptic, most people who are seizure prone or epileptic are not poltergeist agents, which means that in the middle, there's a missing or unknown variable. That being... Uh, we don't know. Well, you've talked about coupling with the environment. In, inductive resonance coupling. Yeah. But it could be that they have no coping mechanism for the for the stress mm -hmm. and the result between that and the environment happens. But um, the uh, number of times with me, I've been holding things like medication and suddenly it gets, my hand will get really like numb, like really cold and the stuff will fall out of my hand and gone. Where'd it go? Nowhere. There's nowhere for it to go. It's happened, still happens to me, not regularly. Where I thought, where is it? Dematerialization. Yeah. It's always a cold, tingling sensation. Um, but see this, but now we take it on, let's go to a case which shows the psycho, psychodynamics of these phenomena. 1974, the lab is up and running. My old colleague, Harry Gaynor, He's in Hunter Books in Westwood, used to exist, and he's talking to a friend about the work he and I were doing, and the woman in the next aisle was Doris Byther with, with one of her friends, as the movie accurately depicted. So she he overhears Carrie speaking to his friend, and she goes, oh, by the way, my house is haunted. Rather than talking to her in the middle of a store, let him get your name and number. 
come out to visit her about a week later, Culver City, California, Braddock Drive. Broken down little ramshackle home, twice condemned by the city. I don't know why she was living there, couldn't afford anything else. Here was a woman, she would not give us her age. Very, very closed, very unresponsive to many questions. If people don't want to give us basic information, I just get up and leave. It's a waste of time. The very first thing she tells us is she's been repeatedly raped by a ghost. Oh, God. Roll our eyes back. Raped by a ghost. She's out of her mind. You know, she's had a psychotic break. So I listened to her. Um, we thanked her for her time and we left. What are we supposed to do? Hey, go see a psychiatrist. You know, get some help. This is a parapsychologist. We're not psychiatrists. A week later, she calls back. A neighbor and a friend had witnessed things around her. Okay. Go back to a place. Very hot. August 22nd, 1974. And we're in the kitchen. Lower cupboard door pops open and an iron skillet goes flying out across the kitchen. Drops. Go into her bedroom, which had a horrible stench of decomposing organic matter. And she said that there are three male entities. One bigger, older, one bigger one, two smaller. Two would hold her down, the third one would rape her. Can't prove or disprove this. Now, should we set up front, she had four children. A very young daughter we never met, thankfully, because too young to deal with this. And three boys. An older one and two younger, smaller ones. So, hmm, she had some, seemed like some psychosexual problems. She a little too, um, it's a problems in terms of emotions. She wouldn't answer a lot of our questions. I mean, anyway, we began experiencing things. We started seeing these unusual balls of light, what I would call corpuscular masses. And we were able to get one picture of one of the balls. It looks like a comet with a tail on it. There was no reference. We don't know where it was coming from going to. We don't know the speed it was traveling at. So we then decided we put up black poster boards all over her bedroom. On the ceiling, on the walls, everyone would have a number and magnetic orientation. So we had a reference grid. So over time, things began to happen. And um, we had a horrible odor. Brought a Hewlett Packard sniffer could not determine where the source of the odor was. Um, at one point, the fuse box was ripped out of the wall and thrown at her. Um, one point, she was in her bedroom, and she said that the, the uh, cardboard, the sheets of dark matter, was torn off and thrown at her. These are pieces of cardboard that you had They're put up. Poster boards. Poster yeah. boards. And with duct tape. You, you had pasted Carrie them. and I covered her bedroom. But that's where the phenomena was focused. Mm -hmm. In order to help you make better right, observations. Exactly. Right. And also steal the house off from external lighting sources. So at one, we're in the bedroom, we see lights flopping around, and we brought in several professional photographers with different cameras. We filtered it to a deep red gel on the, on the light, on the flash, and we're shooting Kodak Tri-X. That was the most sensitive film, and we pushed it in development. And uh, so at one point, there were lights zipping around Doris, and the best photo we had, we had of her, she's on the, her bed in, the, in her little tiny bedroom, and she's cowering below an arc of light. It frames her. Now, what's interesting about this light, and Carrie mentioned this right off the top, that 
The walls behind doors met at a 90-degree angle, but the light was not bent in accordance with the wall. That means the light was in space. It, we were seeing lights flying around her. We also got another shot of um, in the bedroom, but Doris is not in the frame. And there's two arcs, one this way, one this way, like this. Doris was not in the frame. Uh, when we got some strange lights, we just saw coming to the door, took pictures of the Polaroid. We got one strange light. That nothing should have been there. Um, so at one point, we're in a room, and she said that her kids, that they played certain music, the phenomenon would react to it. Okay, so they're hearing it. The music's very agitating and very nervously oriented. It's a Black Sabbath. Heavy metal. Yeah, Black Sabbath, a thing called acro the Acrobat. I don't know. I remember a long time ago. So, But th this is music that sort of evokes diabolic images. Well, and the kids, there are three boys. Yeah. So, excuse me. Um, sure enough, lights are flying around the room, zipping. And we do something, do something. And all of a sudden we hear, and some would see, even though it was really dark, the duct tapes being ripped off the ceiling. Mm -hmm. The duct and, tape right, that duct you tape. would use right, to, to seal paste. the blood, the cardboard. Yeah. It flies Doris, hits her in the head. There are 20 people in that room. Whew, hits Doris, didn't hurt her. Another one flies off, and would do it again, do it again, ripped it off. We asked it, Carrie kept saying, if you're here, do something. So duct tapes ripped off. Whew, Flows at her. Another one just misses her. She's freaking out, but we were there. And um, it, it, it was amazing because at one point, the lights coalesced in the corner of her bed, bedroom. You could see it from about the lower diaphragm up, a very tall man, well over six feet, somewhat muscular. You could see the, uh, the, the uh, orbits of the eyes, the brow ridge, you could see the jaw, the, uh, the pectorals, uh, the, the whole bit. And it was dynamic. It was not stationary. It was like it was looking at us like this. And then, poof, like a light going on. Now, all the lights we saw prior to and since were all the same lime green color. Why, I can't tell you. Uh, now, you know, she claimed there were three male entities. She had three young three boys. You don't have to be a psychoanalyst or a therapist to realize the psychodynamics that might be occurring here. She was very over, all her children, each was from a different man. And she walked around half naked most of the time with her kids home. And they just accepted this as normal, but it's got to affect them. So my guess is we were seeing the physical manifestation of Doris Bither overly uh, active libido. Mm -hmm. And she wanted to be have sex with her oldest kid. I seem to recall uh, as well from your description uh, that she also uh, was often inebriated. Yes, many times she seemed to be not drunk drunk, but yeah, she was drinking a lot. And the one time where nothing really happened, she wasn't drinking. Dr. Moss came there once. And, uh, you know, nothing much happened that night. But we did invoke Frank DeFolita, who I'd known from years earlier when he did the Stately Ghosts of England. We met him and he came out and viewed some of the stuff and with a friend who was a producer and a writer. And it was amazing. He was in all with these strange lights zipping around. But the bottom line is, 
we at one point we had about 20 people witnessing the same thing at the same time so Karen and I said don't talk about it write it down write down what you saw and we read it the same the same so there in reality there's mass hysteria but there's no such thing as a mass hallucination if let's say there were 20 people there at one point you'd think there'd be variation for, if it was a, a an image that's in their minds what was occurring was not real they would have variation from per, but they all saw the same thing so anyway doris finally moves you know she drank not a lot but enough that you could know of it could smell it a little bit she finally is able to move she got job after job she moved from culver city to carson and she contacted frank because he was interviewing her he had wanted to write a book about the case which was eventually called the entity which became a motion picture so frank found her we went out there and with Carrie and I and others and we're trying to make something happen and a large vase flew across the room missed all of us hit the floor and spilled the contents on the floor mm. um, we had a, a very an amplified microphone kept there listening to what we we're doing and saying and you hear something moving towards it like footstep another footstep and then drag footstep foot like the mummy from the old universal horror film and then heavy breathing like <sighs> got right up to the mic and turned that machine off so the question is what did we record why could we not record what we saw we saw this apparition fire cameras fire boom 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 fire fire nothing we we didn't see arcs framing doris Bither. So what was going on? Again, if I had to make a bet, the bet would be that we were witnessing the psychokinetic manifestation of Doris's enraged and unfulfilled libido. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's more compelling than if it was the ghost. Because when you, you get down to the, to the dis discarnate thing, you can't prove, you can't disprove it. There's always the what if. But before I reach the most outlandish thing, I want to deal with what we know and eliminate everything. The first, the normal things, then you reach the paranormal, you eliminate, boom, 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 boom. And once you run out of the obvious, you go, well, we've got a problem here. There's nothing else left. And now Doris died in, I believe, 1997 of supposedly cardiopulmonary arrest. They, were, they didn't know why her body decided to stop. She, she wasn't that much older than me, maybe eight, eight or nine years older than me, I think, but she wouldn't tell us. And he got three, out of her four children, one is somewhat normal, for what I've heard. The others have serious drug and alcohol, substance abuse problem. I read an interview that one of her sons had with um, Javier Ortega, ghosttheory.com, I read the interview several times, and the, the, the one of that Doris's son must have contradicted himself two dozen times as he was you know, say this contradicted, say this contradicted. So what happened? It contradicts. Once you have that, you ignore what they're saying because it's it's who cares. So that was an amazing case. But beyond that, a couple of years later, we had a case in the Hollywood Hills called Holly, the Hollymont Drive case. And 
we were up there one night, a, okay, a, guy, a student at UCLA came in the lab and he was freaking out. Been at a party the night before at a house. The address is 6221 Hollymont. It's a huge old home. Been renovated recently. And things are flying around, thing banging noises. And I, oh, come. He said a, uh, a woman was pinned against the wall by a throne chair and a kettle came off the stove and dumped water on her. So we've got to go to the house, talk to people, go to the house, things start happening. Boom, one thing after another. Fires break out spontaneously, power goes on and off spontaneously. We're standing in the foyer, there's a huge uh, black iron chandelier, lights go out for a second, they come back on, there's a, uh, some kind of a thick towel wrapped around it. But it wasn't there, it was there. The doorbell wasn't connected, the doorbell would start ringing, but it wasn't connected. An object flew at me, flew at Carrie, my old colleague. It was, and it's, it's um, down my website, it's called the Hollymont Haunting, as good as it gets. And we now know things we didn't know back then. Two active earthquake faults intersect almost directly under that house. And there's a shallow river under the house. So you have very strong hydromagnetic and geomagnetic phenomena there. And there were no, we didn't have any instruments back in the mid 70s, they didn't exist. And Carrie and I got to live in the house for about 10 days when it was an escrow. And one point um, I remember, oh, so one point I remember I'd made a glass of iced tea I put it down on the sink to turn and get some lemon out of the refrigerator. I turn back, the glass is gone. I found it through two doors I just locked in another room of the house. Um, at one point, um, I was installing a new phone and suddenly the jack blows out of the wall and goes flying over me. Um, this one, we couldn't, a fire broke out upstairs. We walk, open the front door, hundreds of poker chips, plastic, come flying at us. Yet there's no one there but us. Um, there's a, the neighbor, man named Dexter Gray, who lived just to the east, a big house like the one we were looking at. He was renovating it when he moved in, leaning against a built-in shelving unit, and it, it opened up like a bad movie goes down the steps, discover, oh, there's a tunnel running under the hill, connecting the holds from Prohibition era. Oh. And he's exploring it, first alone, then with a neighbor and a friend, and they find a headstone in a grave. The name is Regina, 1922. Huh? Somebody was buried there? Um, the house, we were lost up there, in 2008, and now we had instruments. Let's start with the best to work backwards. We we're about to leave after a couple hours, and uh, so I had a big Pelican case. I took my instruments in, and it was very imperfect. We got there. I go to pick it up to put the instruments back in, and on the bottom of the case is carved a backwards R, a lazy R. Wait, the name of the woman down below is Regina. If in order to carve into the case, you would have needed a chisel and a hammer to start it. It was deeply carved. Well, who did it?
and when. Um, instruments at some point started going nuts and second story, uh, big ball light came towards us, which Barry Conrad, my colleague at the time, captured in the bathroom we were taking pictures. One picture showed a perfect arc of colors, like a rainbow. The upstairs bathroom repeatedly caught fire. A bathroom catching fire. What? So the house had terrible water erosion damage. And it was old. It was renovated. It, it's been renovated, but it's kind of weird looking because they're a mixture of modern and ear old work and it looks horrible but we were in there in 2008 and then the current owner was a man named abdi manavi or manavi great guy let us come in and run around the place take pictures and yeah, things up objects appearing objects disappearing and and no obvious poltergeist agent no now in the original investigation in 76 we were all young at one point the news crew from KTTV, they had a box, a, a thing of napkins fly at them. Then they had coasters fly at them. And at one point, Carrie and I are in this cupboard, and thousands of pennies are raining down. What's what, hurting it? Oh, and from nowhere, reporting the raining pennies, raining pennies. And, uh, and then uh, the news crew was freaking out. So they ran out of the house. And as they ran out, what the, the, the news, Connie Fox was the uh, journalist, and she's talking and things that zip by her. They run out of the house down the Z-shaped stairwell. They run out of the house, a big book, a Dun & Bradstreet, comes flying over the house, flopping its pages, makes one turn, two turns, three turns, and drops at Connie's feet. And she never returned after that. The light, the street light in front of the house during the daylight was blinking on and off just in front of that house. Is, that, to me, might be the mo one of the most haunted locations I've ever visited. The question is, is it haunted because the phenomenon, because the energy is there, which amplifies what happens with some people? But when we were there in 2008, it was really quiet compared to what it was in 76. But in 76, we were all in our 20s, raging hormones, different bodies, different brains. Um, and uh, it's interesting, there were crews there from other new shows, and they couldn't take it in the house. They ran out. Um, the house is still there. I don't know if anyone owns in it, if anyone moved in yet, but it's... it's so well, it certainly is suggestive of the possibility of a discarnate agent. The most amazing thing I've ever experienced happened in 1992 in a case in, where was it? Oh, I forgot the area. Really great Hispanic family. Wonderful people, the Ramirez, great people. And um, a lot of strange things happening there. They had a young, uh, it was a multi-layer family, big house, two-story home. And the son was named Nico, really nice young man. And uh, very like, really liked the people a lot. They were very normal, they were terrified. Banging things, moving around. Um, apparitions, luminous anomalies, and but, so we're there at one point. Now, here's the strangest thing that's ever happened to me. Imagine you're, okay, the dining room. There was a large um, marble table, probably weighed 800 pounds. At some point, it was just jumping up and down, like it weighed a feather, like a couple of micrograms, up and down. Then at times, that room would violently shake from no source. 
but rooms right next to it, there was no movement or sensation of shaking, which is impossible. The room's connected by floor, by ceiling. So if this room's shaking, we're gonna, you're going to feel it there, not as strongly, but you're, and no, the room's shaking and nothing's going on there. But that can't happen. Yes, it can. But how? How can you isolate if it'd be like shaking this table really hard and not expecting to see this thing move? Mm -hmm. You can't, won't happen. Well, that, that could happen if it was a, a psychological phenomena. If you didn't have... I mean, it was, a, it was a, you were seeing it in your mind. Yeah. But, you know, listen, they could, the people in the other room could see us being moved. They saw everything shaking. Several so, people, multiple Yeah, witnesses. like nine people would see it shaking and yet... They weren't, nothing was happening to were, them. Were, were you making uh, recordings? We did, but a lot of times the tapes would be screwed up. Um, Beverly Conrad was with me there, other people were with me. Things happened in the kitchen, the stove kept pulling itself away from the wall, banging noises, and that case faded away as the uh, child grew up. Well, it, it certainly suggests that reality itself is much more right. malleable than we realize. And then one of the latter cases I investigated, was on Cielo Drive, a few doors down from where the Sharon Tate murders happened in 1969. And a friend of mine, who whose voice reminds me of you, uh, he brought me up there. He was hired to do publicity. A guy wanted him for, for a movie he made. So I've known Steve Rubin for decades. I met him actually, we were kids. I met him again where, um, he was one of a publicity unit for the Entity movie back in 1981 when we shot it. And uh, so he calls me, there's this weird case going on on Cielo Drive in Benedict Canyon, not that far from where I lived at the time. We go up there, um, really eroded road, it's a private road, and uh, whole new homes built there. We go in the guy's house, and instantly I started feeling dizzy and nauseous. I was going to pass out. And we interviewed the guy, and the guy wouldn't answer any questions about his health, questions about medication, questions about drugs. We found that out later. Um, and he moved in there a couple of years earlier. They built the house. They, the location has the most powerful geomagnetic field I've ever recorded. Some over sometimes over a hundred times normal. Actually, it's over a thousand times normal. And you go polarize one part of the house would be positive fields, negative fields, and the amplitude would go up and down depending on the environment. I was there. I worked on and off there for more than a year. I got sick there sixteen times and ended up in the ER. It tore me apart. My stomach, my neck, my joints. People who came in there had perfectly healthy people, no pre-existing conditions. They got sick when they were there. And one night we were filming there and there was a, uh, a news crew and they had the truck on the street in front. The truck collapsed, the electronics all went dead. Call another truck, it stayed down below, worked a little better. But the case was incredible because the continuity of the data the level of magnetism was so high and 68% of the people that came there got ill. None of them knew about the environment before they arrived. 
And at one point, I'm standing next to this news guy, and suddenly our instrument, full-scale deflection, and we both almost passed out. Like, oh, what's going on? And like a door opening, like a door closing. And um, we were leaving the kitchen one time, and a glass of water comes flying right past me, hits the floor. Um, disembodied voices. If you hold on to the stairwell at the back of the house that goes down to the other floors, these, it's so strong, it numbs out your arms. You hold it and your body would become numb. And uh, like I said, there's no power on this planet that would get me to go back there. So would you attribute that to geomagnetic? Well, the it, 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 reason I kept going back, we learned a lot. It helped. The experiences we had there somewhat consolidated and validated everything we suspected for years. This is like, that's why it's the article on my website about it, which will be in my new book. The Seal Drive Convergence, the ultimate field laboratory. It was like, this provided all the, it's like in the movie, The Haunt, the original Haunting. Okay, the legend of Hell House as well. They both dealt with phenomena trying to document it in these homes and they trying to measure and then validate what's going on. This place provided everything we needed. The person who owns the house for what we were told, even though they wouldn't tell us about this, has seizures. Very likely he's, he's epileptic. He's woken up, big knots in his head, blood coming out of his mouth, falling on the floor. So he's living in the most psychokinetically volatile environment ever. And was he there when these things occurred? Always. always. I see. He moved in and shortly thereafter. Now we're, we're building the house. The, uh, the magnetic fields were so strong they couldn't, didn't know where to drill to put the stanchions in, the metal girders for the foundation. Now we're measuring these incredible magnetic fields. Now magnetic fields parallel the earth. Electric fields vertical. But because of the, all the um, iron uh, pieces of the environment there, they're permeating or emitting magnetic fields in the wrong way. So instead of the field running this way, get magnetic fields running vertically, plus the electric field. And one time we had a storm coming in, lightning and thunder. And at one point, one of our things jumped to two kilovolts per meter. That's it. I'm out of here. Lock everything up and leave. The first night I was there, we go back to get some batteries for instruments, and we see this one case that had a soft top for cameras and stuff. The top poof, poof, was going poof, like that. Um, it, 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 like I said, it, it was, and there was an incident there in 2014, I believe, where a picture was taken. There was a woman there, and she seemed to be having a mild seizure. Very bad reaction. Another woman there who didn't even really knew her took a picture, and she saw nothing. No one's. A, but the picture shows these incredible energies wrapped around the woman's head, and I I spent two days enhancing it. The photo, different frequency, wavelengths of light, and to, and I think by accident. We, they may have captured the first optical analog to someone having a seizure in a high geomagnetic environment. It's an optical analog. And no matter how I analyze it, it gets stranger. 
and she, yeah, she was. You started to shake like that, and having a seizure. Um, the, the case is so volatile that um, I was asked to go up there for one of Zach Baggin's show back in 2014. Nope. Uh, if you want, I'll be happy to interview me somewhere else, my house, your hotel room, but I will not go back to that house. Mm -hmm. And um, wouldn't go back, and then they went there. And, you know, I'm very skeptical of the things these shows say because it's a show to entertain the public. It's not a show for science. Uh, yeah, it, it, it was an amazing case. Um, but it was interesting. After that is when all hell started breaking out around me. The physical phenomenon. This girl who came up to the house, a friend before who I eventually went out with one, she... Um, she said, you want to spend the night here? Or, no, 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 no. Why? I'm afraid I might not wake up. What? I'm afraid I would die if I stayed here. It's, it messed my body up so severely just being in that house. That way, that's what she told you? Or no, that's what I told her. You and um, I said there was no force or money that would make... If someone said to me, I'll buy you a 918 Porsche and pay for the first 10 years insurance and your gasoline if you stay here, I would say, no, because I'll be dead. I can't use the car if I'm dead. Yeah. Um, it, it, that was the greatest biotoxic environment I've ever been in, mm -hmm. ever. It's, it's, and we, what's interesting, we know that negative magnetic, negative polarized magnetic fields are somewhat good for humans in the right way. Positive polarized fields can rip us apart. This place would jump back and forth and back and forth, and um, it, 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 was, it was amazing. Another case we had was 1989, the San Pedro case. And this learned a great deal from Jackie Hernandez, Barry Conrad and I went down there, Jeff Weedcraft, a couple other people were there. Strange liquids dripping from the walls. We took samples, human blood plasma, things flying around. Barry caught some strange lumus anomalies. anomalies. Now, but what gets really amazing is the phenomena. Um, we in the house, our equipment would go crazy, go crazy. Other crews came there. Their equipment would fail in a little bungalow. This is in San Pedro. They'd go out and come back and go back in. It would die. So the case winds down, and after Jackie had visited Barry Conrad at his home in Studio City, after she left, phenomena would break out. Classic poltergeist agent. I go, why is it happening there? And then she went to some other place that followed her there. She moved up north in Northern California, somewhere in, I don't know where, Phenomena follower there, which Barry and Jeff experienced. I, my father had a heart attack, so I couldn't help him at that time. And then I thought, why? Okay, we learned something now. Okay, and why did the phenomena keep attacking Jeff Wheatcraft? He tried to hang him in the attic, wrapped the clothes on, almost killed him. He had a, roll, a burn in his neck, and then it threw him into the wall again at Barry's house, and. Uh, glass was flying around fires broke out at Barry Conrad's home go why is this okay so she moves into this little place in San Pedro it had very likely had a really unusual geomagnetic signature to it or electromagnetic it charged her up she then moved from the environment and it would bleed off of her as she moved 
And then why did it keep attacking Jeff? She was attracted to Barry Conrad, which most women were. He looked like Elvis, tall, dark hair, blue eyes, you know, very affable, friendly, helpful. And she liked him. And Jeff was always in the way. It kept attacking Jeff. I, I told, I expressed this to her one of the shows I was on with her. And she said, I hated Jeff. I wanted, Jeff was getting in my way with Barry. I said to the producer, this is a psychokinetic manifestation of Jackie's hatred of Jeff. It's what's attacking him. She's telling the ghost, I go, there's no ghost. It's Jackie's subconscious. It's monsters from the id. Yeah. Right out of Forbidden Planet. Then, after she visits, Barry phenomena breaks out. We didn't know why. Barry was having a brief, he'd invite her over, let her cook, whatever. He'd have sex with her, let her go, bring her back. Other girls would come over, he'd have to kick her out. She was getting really pissed. That's when the phenomena broke out in Barry's homes. It was, again, we see it's an extension of her. Now, this is what I felt like a contagion. Let's say you're healthy. So you go to some friend's house, and a couple of them are sick, but you don't touch anything, you wear a mask. You go home, you get sick, you give it to your wife and your kids. That's a veteran pathogen, we know what that is. Mm -hmm. I think there's something identical. That the phenomena are contagious. Not as, yeah, energy, if you're susceptible to it, yeah. can alter you. Mm -hmm. You can carry this energy with you, it bleeds off. Unless it alters you in a way, you keep bleeding it off and bleeding it off. So you carry it, you deposit, and if you enough mechanisms here to make it work, it responds. Mm -hmm. And why people say when you change halt environment to rebuild, things go nuts? Because the relationship of dielectrics to conductors has changed. Energy moves in a different way and it reacts. But the San Pedro case, you know, gee, so this is what I call the psychovirus. Mm -hmm. And we've seen this since then in other cases. Yeah. <laughs>